So Pippa, thank you very much. Uh, welcome to the podcast. It's great yeah, to have you on. Pippa Pip Neil. Um, I, I've been reading some of your, of your writing the last few days and it's, it's very interesting and engaging. Um, and particularly the topics around air pollution are something that personally I, I find very important um, from, from a health perspective, particularly for Londoners. I think given mm. the air quality isn't great in London and, and I'm a cyclist and I spend a lot of time on the roads and I, and I note that um, air quality is probably, um, it, it's, it's not where it needs to be. Um, and and it's, it's, you, you become acutely aware in very hot days when there's a lot of traffic, just how bad air pollution can be in London. Um, but more globally as well, I think it, it is a challenge in other countries and probably more chronic than, than we in Europe can appreciate. So um, I'd, I'd love for you to, um, I'd love for you to kind of introduce yourself a bit and just explain us, you know, what, what, what you do, your background, why you've, got in, why you've become interested in, in environmental topics. And, and, and we can take it from there. Yeah, so I've been writing for Air Quality News for about a year now, just coming up to a year. Uh, and kind of my background is in environmental journalism. So I, I also write for our sister magazine, which is Environment Journal. So I cover all these topics, but I kind of came to Air Quality News with that, seeing it as an environment environmental issue. Um, and, you know, within the first week of, of writing, working here, I realised just how much of a health issue it is, and it's more to do with, you know, the public health. Air pollution is responsible for seven million deaths across the world every single year. So, this is a massive issue globally, as you say, um, and yeah, it's a massive health issue, and it's more to do with transport and travel and changing the way we get about. That's um, so yeah, and I think it's a really important topic that we need to be talking more about and you know at Air Quality News we've seen massive growth in the number of readers like annual readers I think we have around 100,000 monthly readers online Um, and we recently launched um, a magazine just to focus specifically on investigating further into what's going on in terms of air pollution and we've got um, a conference as well. So, you know, this is there's definitely interest in this topic and it's making kind of uh, like international headlines, you know, in major papers. So it is a, an issue that people are realising the severity of it as the research is kind of backing up what people have known for a long time. So, yeah, I think it's just a really important topic that needs to be discussed even more and kind of the science is coming out every single day showing just the range of different ways that air pollution affects your health so yeah yeah. thanks for that um i guess when i think about air pollution i think about certain certain things you know like oh it's it's from exhaust you know carbon dioxide from exhaust or sulfur dioxide but the more and more i've been reading the more i understand there's probably layers to this so the particulate matter is definitely uh, a huge health risk, but it's also understanding that maybe air quality or bad, poor air quality in one country could be different to poor air quality in another country in terms of the particulates or the mm-hmm. type of pollution within that air quality. And maybe in Europe, we experience a type of air quality that in India or China is a different, but, but equally or, or more challenging um, public health issue. Like when we talk about air quality or air pollution, is it, is it a commonly agreed term or does it mean different things in different places and with, with different components? 
Mm. So when you're talking about like air pollution and the impacts on public health, generally the main kind of dangerous type of air pollution is particulate matter. And that's because they're so small that they can kind of get into your lungs in, uh, like easier than, and they can just like, they're more harmful to your body. Yeah. Um, and that's, they come predominantly from car exhausts, uh, industry, things like that. And you also have nitrogen dioxide, nitrogen oxides, um, again, a massive like health, um, health concern. Um, but there's, yeah, there's lots of different types of pollution. So, you know, you have like ammonia. I recently did an article about ammonia and the impact that, that and that predominantly comes from agriculture. Hmm. Um, and that's really harmful to nature specifically, less so is harmful to humans, but the impact that it has on biodiversity is huge. Um, and I, I wrote an article, a news story this morning about dust from the Sahara Desert is causing premature um, deaths in babies in Africa, in 15% increase in premature deaths. I think wow. those numbers are right. Um, and you know, that's a natural form of pollution because it's just dust from, from yeah. the desert and there's research that shows that kind of climate change and changes in the climate are yeah. increasing that dust as like weather patterns are changing but yeah that you know in different countries there's different concerns but i'd say kind of the main health concern across the world is particulate matter that's like the most sort of deadly form of air pollution yeah okay um i, I had a look in terms of ranking of say the top 100 cities worldwide Mm -hmm. in terms of uh, air pollution or air quality, worst air quality. And I think about 90 to 95 of those 100 cities are in India and China. Mm -hmm. is, is that directly linked to the level of, or the speed of economic growth and, and industrial production there? You know, like say coal-fired coal -fired power station, transportation, heating of homes. Mm -hmm. is, it, is it, you know, the, the regulations are just not as strict there in terms of the particulate yeah. matter? Definitely heating of homes is um, a major, a major yeah. problem in countries like India and China because it's a lot of like wood, like biomass that's used to heat homes, like burning wood. Mm. And that's hugely like dangerous for air pollution, like specifically particulate matters. Um, and yeah, as you say, kind of economic growth, the industry of the, the way like, you know, we saw as China went into lockdown at the beginning, um, early at the beginning of the year in coronavirus, like emissions dramatically reduced because kind of they are the biggest producers of lots of things. So yeah. they're responsible for global, like, you know, huge percentages of global CO2 and air pollution emissions. Um, yeah. And I guess just, you know, we're like the UK and lots of countries in Europe still have a long way to go but we do have knowledge of this and the money for like electric vehicles that countries like India doesn't yet have access to. Okay. Okay. Um, in terms of if we, if we were to break down the air quality, let's say in London and say um, when it gets past a, a critical level um, that the, the components that feed into that, you know, that bad air quality, is, is that coming from traffic on the roads mainly? Is it also coming from electricity production? Do, do we know like where the most dangerous components are? In London, yeah. definitely the main concern is road tra traffic, transport is the main, yeah, definitely the main concern in London. Definitely transport is a huge 
a huge problem um, and even with as we transition you know with the government introducing the banning the sale of petrol and diesel vehicles by yeah. 2035 and you know that's an amazing step in the right direction but yeah. electric vehicles don't eliminate the pollution problem because you still have pollution from the tire dust so kind of like as the the vehicles driving the friction from the tires means that um, small particulates kind of are emitted into the air and you know, these are known to be as dangerous to human health as particulate matter from the exhausts, um, but yet they're not monitored. So we're going to still see problems with pollution as we transition to more electric vehicles. Um, and I think in London and the rest of the UK, wood burning fires is a major mm. issue because, you know, there's a big increase in um, it's kind of like a fashionable thing to have, you know, wood burning fire, even, yeah. you know, not, not, it's not needed to heat the homes, but it's yeah. seen as cozy and nice yeah. and all these things, um, even in cities. But we did an investigation um, late last year, um, looking at, like we put an air pollution monitor inside somebody's home in the middle of the countryside, where, you know, it should be really clean air. They live in the Peak District. Um, and they have a wood burning stove and air pollution was as high as a hundred particulate matter was as high as 177 micrograms per wow. which to put into perspective in the UK the legal limit is 25 and, even and that, that was that, that was within the home with it inside the house wow. so um kind of the health impacts and of of yeah of wood burning fires that's just kind of a trend that needs to go <laughs> yeah it's like not if if we're gonna make any meaningful change on air pollution then wood burning stoves are definitely part of the bigger picture would it be fair to say um i just took it took note here earlier in terms of the main drivers or, or generators of, of pollution they would be driven by heating electricity industry agriculture and transportation are they, are they the five main areas yeah i would say so that's okay okay and within let's say within europe or, or the uk again um the the most immediate impact i see when i'm on the road is from is from transportation or traffic mm -hmm. generating you know ex emissions from exhaust and then in the in the winter time you'll see chimneys producing you know mm -hmm. uh, emissions from either he heating either from coal or wood um which probably isn't so prevalent in in the summer then mm -hmm. i guess the other factors are around kind of industrial production electricity production which isn't localized in the sense that I don't see it happening outside my window. Yeah. It, it is happening somewhere. And I guess it is then accumulating and aggregating across the country. And that's another concern kind of as we transition to more electric vehicles, just kind of where is this electricity going to come cars on the roads? And it's easy to be like, well, the pollution in London's declined dramatically, but you know, if there's, that's coming from a coal plant then yeah. the pollution in that wherever that is you know will be even bigger and it's it's definitely important to yeah not like localized air pollution is important to see kind of how what like local authorities can do to reduce pollution on those roads but it is important to see the bigger picture and not just kind of clean up one area and push it somewhere else i guess to go back to your previous point on, on africa and the sand um, or the, the dust from, from the Sahara. So I guess there, there, there is a, a natural component that's historically been there, say, I don't know, say it's, um, it's a forest fire 
or it's uh, volcanic eruptions, they, they would create some kind of base level of pollution in, in the air, which can be measured. And I guess going back a century, two centuries, we would know in the UK or in Europe what air quality would have been like then. Maybe comparing pre-industrial and post-industrial through, we may have you know tree rings or, or certain types of, of um, uh, ice samples from glaciers. We could see how the air quality has deteriorated over time. So uh, we've been able to measure but definitely looking back decades, um, you can see kind of industrial revolution, coal, like the um, smog in London, and you can see, and from, from there, we seem to have made lots of steps forward in the, the right direction, but kind of the problem is that the air pollution that we see, that we are experiencing now is invisible. It's yeah. not the black carbon and the black smog from coal because you know the UK has almost eliminated its coal factories it's yeah the pollution from exhaust which kind of as I said is the particulate matter that's really small and invisible which makes it even more scary because we can't we can't see it so it's hard to believe that it's really there um you think about air pollution or you think about smog it's something almost tangible it's it's um you can taste it in the air it's thick and it's you know gray black and it's very dense whereas this type of air pollution is is a lot more um um harder to kind of really perceive because the particles are so much smaller but on the other side because they're so much smaller they're so much more deadly right mm -hmm. because they get they get into the soft tissue and they can really they can affect the lungs the heart the brain in in ways that we're we're starting to really understand now um, so there, there is there is a kind of direct health health impact there. Are we able to measure in terms of like as air quality deteriorates, how from a health point of view people's lives are impacted? There's lots of evidence of in in the, like the time of like the smogs in London of you know people like increased mortality rates were huge, um, and we can definitely see now it's like the the tracking kind of the impact that air pollution is having on health is there's lots of research showing kind of all the different ways it's impacting impacting health from like cognition to brain to your brain function to lungs to you know like so many things there's even research showing that higher air pollution leads to um more criminal behavior because really? it kind of changes the way your brain functions so the kind of body of research is huge and honestly is growing every single day there's a new paper you know, exploring a different angle in terms of air pollution and health. So I think the air pollution, the, the impacts have always been there. The knowledge is still growing and there's still so much more to understand. And that's so important now more than ever before with coronavirus, because yeah. there's, you know, evidence showing that in, like there's evidence showing that air pollution can actually increase viral transmission uh, of coronavirus kind of through the part particulates but also that because air pollution causes like problems with respiratory conditions like asthma lung disease yeah. and that's kind of coronavirus is a respiratory virus that the link between the two is kind of never been more important and I think we're going to kind of continue seeing research that's highlighting just how um, important the link is between the two and how important it is to keep air pollution down as we kind of emerge out of lockdown to ensure that we don't just have a spike of both coronavirus yeah. and air pollution because they're that's, definitely linked 
That's a really, a really good point again, Pip. I think um, for any, if you're, if you're breathing or your respiratory system is impacted by, by this, and then you're also at the same time, so say we're coming back from COVID and the activity is increasing, transportation is increasing, people are moving more. So we're creating more pollution again. And then a second wave was to come, you would see potentially say September, October, people then are in this, in the midst of, you know, the usual, usual level of, of pollution plus the, the coronavirus impact in them, mm -hmm. which, which would have like a, a double whammy effect, right? Definitely. Yeah. And pollution tends to be worse in the winter months because like you yeah. say, more people having fires in their houses and things. So there's definitely cause for concern with that and what, what, what's, what's going to happen really. Yeah. The slight problems when talking about the impacts that air pollution is having on health because you know you say uh, air pollution has caused seven million premature deaths worldwide yeah. but how do you measure premature you know like it it reduces life expectancy by so many months and that's quite hard to imagine it's not directly causing an immediate death it's mm. having a long-term impact on people's health i think that is kind of part of the problem in un for people to understand how severe the, the issue is because kind of saying oh it leads to premature death well it's quite hard to imagine rather than saying like it kills this many people if that makes sense yeah yeah it, it's again it, it's for me for me when i'm interested when i when i have you know discussions on air pollution climate change quantifying how that how that impact uh or finding a way to make that relatable for people who aren't scientists so you talk about you know CO two increasing and the impact on on let's say crop production or or um, uh, say health health effects of, of air pollution and you know increased mortality rates or people die earlier or the impact on their health and it's it's how you measure that and quantify it because some sometimes it can be hard to relate numbers or figures or absolutes to to everyday life mm -hmm. so so if if you say to somebody or the, the average person living in this area in London um, will be impacted negatively by a certain level of air pollution. So it takes two years off their life. You know, that's something you can kind of grasp. But if you hear 7 million deaths globally due to this, is yeah, but how do you know that this is the driver? What other factors are, are impacting them? Yeah, and I think that kind of just, just makes it hard to uh, like relate to the problem yeah. or hard to makes makes it you know harder for people to understand the importance of their actions because you know what does what difference can you make from switching to an electric vehicle or choosing to walk walk to work if you can or all these kind of things it's uh, it's hard to understand the in what what impact you can have in this global problem but yeah it's kind of breaking it down for people so that they can understand the localized impact and the impact on the people in their area to understand kind of the changes and how important it is to kind of change our behaviors in a way yeah no it's very 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 true if you tomorrow had the power to to make changes to um to say regulations in the uk you know you can make three changes to to reduce air pollution by a measurable amount in in five years like what what for you would be three meaningful changes we can make have a direct impact immediately or very very quickly so i think increasing um cycle like cycle lanes and uh, the safety of cycling is a massive one and you know we're seeing that now with um 
um, the government, Boris Johnson, announced like £2 billion cycle fund, kind of as people are being advised not to use public transport. Yeah. Um, and I think that is a major one because I think safety is a big barrier stopping so many people from cycling. So I think that's, yeah, a major, a major change. And obviously, um, encouraging the transition to electric vehicles is important but i also think more of a culture of like car sharing um that because really when you think about you know the expense of having a car you know you have to buy it the tax mot petrol or all these things and i think we don't you know i think companies could do a lot more to encourage colleagues to um travel together and people that live in cities who don't necessarily use a car every day could be part of car clubs I think that's could be uh, you know that's just like a massive way to you know in reduce the amount of cars that there are because even in terms of like road space in London um, cars take up so much space that could be like on street parking takes up so much space in London that could be instead used for planting trees consequently yeah. helping air pollution consequently making the city a nicer place to live improving welfare um i recently did some research into kind of with buses and things like that and obviously public transport is a major part of cleaning up air pollution but i think more of an emphasis on trams could be really beneficial to cities um because if if a tram is powered by 100 percent renewable electricity then there is no pollution and personally, I think trams are a really nice way to get around a city. Um, yeah. And I think that like more infrastructure towards that, if, if I could allocate millions of pounds for that, then that's definitely something I think would be really beneficial in reducing air pollution. I think trams are, are cool just from a, I think cities just look better when they, when they have trams. I mean, yeah. I, I've, I've spent a number of years of my life in Germany and, and in Switzerland as well. And, and there's a very strong emphasis on, on urban mobility, which is non-car based. So Switzerland mm. in particular, particular actually uh, makes it difficult to drive a car in the city. One, they, they limit the number of parking spaces in the city itself, mm. and they promote people using trams, public transport, cycling as much as possible. So exactly. I, I do think London, the UK and London has a, a long way to go still to, to catch up on, on other European cities in, in terms of urban mobility and making it cleaner and, and, and easier to, yeah, to do. Exactly. Like we're not trying to make it harder for people mm. by saying, you know, you can't drive your car into London because you have to pay congestion charge and now um, clean, uh, clean air zones and all these things. It's so you need to kind of give people an, an alternative option that's better. You know, why would you drive if you could get on a tram or bus or underground that takes half the time and is cheaper? Yeah. And it's kind of like almost like socially changing people's behaviors by making it easier to do the more environmentally friendly and better in terms of pollution, like encouraging them to take that option. And let, let's be honest, I mean, driving a car usually is the slowest means of getting around a city as well. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've checked it anywhere I've lived. I've always I, I've cycled to work as much as possible. And then option B is always public transport. C is driving has never really been an option. But when I have drive, driven around a city, I've noticed that driving the same route usually takes twice as long. Um, it's not a very healthy way to, to get around a city. It usually induces stress as well because you're stuck in traffic and mm -hmm. everyone around you is there's usually one person per car or two people max. 
So we're not really utilizing the space very well either. I just, I just find getting around a city in a car is, is a really, it just, it doesn't really help in any way. It's slower, it's more stress inducing, it's non-efficient use of, of the vehicle you have. Um, yeah. But it seems to be the chosen or preferred option still for many people to get around. I guess, well, as you mentioned, part of it is, is, is getting people thinking in a different way about how they, how they travel around the city but it's also having the infrastructure there. It's that to have safe infrastructure and also that it's connected up in a way that is, is it makes sense. So one thing which, which I found very challenging in the UK is if I'm a cyclist and I want to use a train, I can't bring my bike on the train mm. in, during peak hours. And in, 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 in Europe, that's not an issue. So if I want to travel, if I'm in Germany and I want to travel between cities, I can bring my bike on the train. Many cases, I don't even have to pay anything. Same, same when I was in, in Zurich. But in the UK, it's, it seems to be very, it's hard to link up different travel, travel or solutions or options in a way that allows people to commute around the city. Um, maybe part of that is also just that there's a, there's a different level of awareness of, of what options are available. Or there's also a different cultural view on what's, you know, what's an acceptable way of getting around a city. Mm. But I, I do agree with you that getting cars out of the city and getting as much, um, you know, emission, emissions-based transportation out of the city as possible is, is definitely the preferred option, but it will take time to get the infrastructure in place to then support mm. bikes, trains, trams. And this is kind of why um, like our recovery from um, coronavirus is a really exciting time because mm. so many cities are are implementing you know new cycle lanes down busy roads and pedestrianizing massive parts of london because to avoid so that people you know don't have to use public transport for those that don't have a car and that's you know it's kind of like big changes to our cycling and walking infrastructure are happening quite quickly and if these become permanent um options and this continues to grow like there is massive potential for the way we come out of lockdown to be um, you know like much better for urban air pollution but it's just kind of time will tell what what happens i mean london is such it's actually a great city to cycle around it's a really fun place particularly around you know this going anywhere from kind of let's say london bridge or, or tower bridge all the way up to to pass buckingham palace i mean it's even up to victoria station it's it's a wonderful place along embankment mm -hmm. And it's great to see so many people out cycling, particularly in the summer months with, with Santander and these initiatives. People mm. really, really take it on board. And I see a lot of tourist cycling as well. So it's definitely a preferred option for, for a lot of people who want to get around the city quickly. Um, I guess in other cities around the UK, it, it's, it's a question of, of, you know, putting the infrastructure in place and, and making it user friendly. Um, mm. Culturally, you look at a city like Amsterdam, I mean, everybody cycles in Amsterdam. Bikes yeah. are everywhere. People just leave them lying around. It'd be great if, if London could get to that stage where bikes are the preferred option and then probably the bus or the tram or train is, yeah. is option B or the tube. Um, that would really be the, the, the ideal kind of place, place to be. Um, in, in terms of the other challenges for... for um, for air pollution or the other other areas we need to look at. So transportation is definitely a big one and, and definitely perceptible when you're in the city and you're beside a taxi or a bus or a car and you, you, you smell that or you, you, you kind of, you, you sense the, the vapors of the emissions coming out. Well, what else, what other areas do you see where we still have some way to go 
um, in terms of shifting people's behavior or increasing awareness or, or taking actions to, to reduce emissions? Yeah, I think one big um, place, like area of kind of the air pollution challenges that still has a, a lot of work is actually monitoring air pollution. Yeah. Um, and even though, you know, there's tech, new technology coming out all the time, like I um, wrote an article just the other day about some new artificial intelligence technology, which will kind of predict air pollution spikes ahead of time. And that's really exciting and can definitely be really useful. But um, also um, in our Air Quality News magazine um, at the end of last year, um, my colleague actually did an investigation and found out that in the top 10 major cities in the UK, like DEFRA air pollution monitors were off for you know masses of time um, during the day. So just not functioning. And they were just like turned off wow. or not functioning. Yeah. And you no, know, like one is that this is um, illegal within the EU. It kind of just sort of shows that it's not really been taken seriously because if we don't know how serious the air pollution is at different times and our monitoring data isn't sufficient enough, then yeah. how can we? kind of use that to go move forward and yeah I think that just shows the how much how much still needs to be done like of course you know compared to other cities um the UK our air pollution isn't that bad but it's still a major health issue and if the government aren't even monitoring air pollution as they should be then kind of what can we expect so is it the responsibility of each local authority to have some type of measuring equipment in place yeah, yeah i think so and they need to make they need to maintain that i assume for kind of public health and yeah. and to, to yeah. kind of inform yeah. if 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 it's above certain limits that people should yeah, exactly. take steps exactly so it, yeah it definitely shouldn't just be not on for you know a couple of days at a time or during the whole day on you know so that's yeah really kind of shocking to find yeah. out Definitely. I, I've seen there are some apps and there is, there is some technology being developed to kind of take different, different measurements that are available locally to kind of give a view on, on what the air quality is for, for a particular day. I don't know if it's real time or not. Some of this may be, there may be a lag, but it's definitely an area that there needs to be more investment in and more, more technology into measuring the air quality in, in, in cities and urban areas on, on a daily basis in, in real time. I mean, we can measure so many things now. Why not that? Exactly. And again, like as we come out of lockdown, I think it's just so important that we do like people are able to access proper air pollution data because, you know, if there's somebody with a respiratory condition, if it's a highly polluted day and they're also concerned about, you know, potentially catching um, coronavirus, then, you know, they should know that like kind of to avoid going outside as kind of black and white as that if it's a really highly polluted day. So having access to this knowledge is essential and it's essential more now than ever before i think yeah definitely i mean you can get real-time information on, on traffic in cities and and you know blockages and roads roadworks etc you should also be able to see very quickly oh if i go into my local city or you know the local center today uh it's probably going to have quite a high level of particular matter is going to be above the recommended level do I want to make that journey? And if I do, do I need to take steps to, to keep myself safe? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, in terms of globally, so we have been looking at you know, the UK and, and Europe. Globally, is there, is there still a global impact from, from the, the actions that 
India or China take. So we have the local, you know, local effects through, through what happens within the UK. But is the UK or Europe also impacted in terms of air quality by things happening more further afield? Yeah, I think the, the things happening in, um, in India is kind of unlikely. I mean, again, I don't know yeah. the specifics on this, but from what I understand, it's like uh, the UK is unlikely to be impacted from the poor air pollution in India or China. But for them, the neighbouring countries is um, a huge impact. Like my colleague recently um, wrote a story for the magazine again um, about Nepal um, and the impact that, you know, just kind of despite its amazing nature, yeah. the impact that that's having from the neighbouring countries, you know, next to India and the, the that, that pollution, yeah, it's like it's cross-border, you know, there's no like, it doesn't just stop when it reaches the, the border. So that's definitely... A big issue because it's like I think to tackle air pollution and climate change it's it needs a global um, cohesive action you can't just rely on one or two countries because then you risk the countries improving air pollution in their country but pushing it further afield to say you manufacture our goods yeah use our energy we have clean energy here you need to make sure you have a global approach and kind of we've seen that in coronavirus you know we've had a global lockdown and we saw global emissions of co2 and air pollution decline dramatically but already um china's co2 emissions i read this morning are are higher than um pre-lockdown levels they're catching up right they've more than Uh, caught up making making up lost time so it's definitely it's definitely important that it's not just that it is a global approach to managing air pollution because yeah like the impacts transcend across countries yeah and, uh, it's that's it that's a really good point and, and there's this concept of scope one uh, scope two and scope three emissions and scope one would be what you yourself as a company are directly producing and i guess as a consumer in the uk you're buying products that are created or you know manufactured in, in china or india potentially so the air pollution is being created there for product that you're purchasing here but there's no price anywhere to reflect the yeah. impact you're having there yeah it's like you know you're walking around and the the headline says uk didn't use coal for the first yeah. time in, uh, for a whole month or whatever yeah. but the clothes you're wearing or the products you're using were made from uh, like due to coal in poland or you know in india china so it's just like it's 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 almost similar to like carbon offsetting it's just yeah. kind of doesn't reduce your conscience to just prevent the air pollution in your country or with you know it's all about the global impact because at the end of the day like climate change won't consider yeah. <laughs> which countries have less emissions and which have worse like it's yeah exactly exactly and um I, I have a lot of friends in singapore for example and and they're impacted every year by by the palm uh, palm plantations, mm-hmm. palm oil plantations. So you know, as as they're uh, burned down, smoke blows from Indonesia over to Singapore. Mm-hmm. So they have their their smoke season now. You know, where people know actually, I, I can't go out into the street for this month potentially because the air quality is so bad. And and that's that's an extreme case. But we are still buying those products in Europe that have palm oil in them. And we are indirectly contributing to the actions of, of businesses in those countries that decide to follow, 
you know, farming techniques that, that have an impact locally there, a very negative impact, but which feed into a supply chain which creates food or other products that we then purchase. Mm. And it's, it's this indirect impact that we, you know, I, I don't see that currently being really um, economically captured or, you know, through, through some tax or some cost to that producer of the negative effects of their um, actions on that cons consumers or the, or the governments can kind of, in some way, adjust the prices to say, listen, you've had a negative effect in this country and we now need to reflect that in the price of the goods you're selling. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's a challenging area. But again, I, I think it comes back to consumers having a power to make, make decisions. So while you may, may not be able to reflect the price adequately, you could say, well, I'm not going to buy this product anymore. I'm aware that this company does, you know, does, does this, um, takes this action, which leads to negative air quality. I'm now going to choose a different product instead because I know this other company yeah. B manufactures in, a, in an ethical or in a responsible way. Definitely. And I think we're definitely seeing an increase in that kind of, you know, money is the most basic form of democracy. So it's like, put, put, if you don't believe in that practice, then don't put your money there. But there's so many grey areas and not, you know, not clear information that like palm oil as an environmental issue, it's like, you can think, oh, I will avoid it. But it's just not as simple as that at all, yeah. because so many products have it in it and if you actually choose another oil that could be even worse for um the environment and air pollution so it's hard for a consumer to be like the perfect it is isn't it yeah. Yeah. want to do the least least amount of damage but maybe inadvertently by making this decision instead of that decision maybe it's going to yeah. more make more damage exactly. or like even um uh, we looked recently at like the life cycle of um, a, um, a battery for an electric vehicle. So, you know, you have your electric vehicle and you feel great because you've got your less polluting vehicle, no CO2 emissions, all the rest of it. But like the life, you know, this is mined in the Democratic Republic of Congo, where um, predominantly that's where cobalt, cobalt which yeah. is the main metal used, comes from. And um you know that there there's like mines where there's massive pollution from the mining and slave like child labor and all these kind of issues but it is like we need to be able to see the bigger picture and that is a massive challenge and i don't really know what the answer is you you would hope um well at least in europe you know we have like the modern slavery act so companies also need to certify that their the vendors and the service providers they work with are also signed up to, to this. So yeah. you would hope that it's ver verified and certified. Maybe if we, we can fi finish on, on a positive tone, because I know <laughs> I'm the same. I mean, these sometimes you can be kind of um, bogged down with, all, with everything that's going on in the world and feel that, um, that there's a lot happening out of your control and that, that the, all the trends seem to be going in a negative direction. Are there things that you see moving positively? Do you see, you know, actions by, by governments or by organizations that are making some positive steps in the right direction when it comes to air pollution? Yeah, definitely. And like, as I've said, like the coronavirus recovery, like is we're at a crossroads where it's like we are seeing steps being taken in, in the right direction, you know, with all this funding towards cycling and um uh, the you know in, in banning the sale of petrol and diesel cars that is a big step uh, and that kind of speaks a lot that state that like proposal um, 
so I think we are at a position where it's like a crucial time to kind of hope for a better world in our post lockdown normality whatever that means so I think there is definitely room for optimism more now than previously for me anyway because we are seeing the way that and we've been able to see the way that the governments can act so quickly they have the power to do you know to to like change things overnight in a matter of minutes so in terms of air pollution and climate change we kind of realize that they have the power to do it it just needs the political will and in terms of air pollution as well i mean it's I don't want to make light of the fact that air pollution has decreased because of a global pandemic, you know, but we have seen that our actions are directly causing air pollution, which we knew, but we've also seen that they can decline very dramatically, which is really positive to know that, you know, if we do change the way our society functions and the way we produce goods and everything else, then we can see positive results. Um, and I think that's quite uh, like optimistic because it just show it shows that like with the correct action, we can change it. It's not it's not permanent. Air pollution kind of can be fixed yeah. um, with the correct action and policies. I that's that's a really good point, and I think similar to again climate change and let's say CO two emissions. You know, there's a concentration of CO two in the atmosphere but that's not fixed. That will decrease again. If we reduce our CO2 emissions, that will decrease. So the actions we take are one, they're directly measurable, but two, we have the power to to make choices that will positively impact us. And I think COVID-19 and the steps the governments are now taking shows they have the power within their hands to enact change, to to support positive positive actions, and also to invest in in those positive, um, you know, positive, uh, well, let's say infrastructure or, or services that, that support that. So we've gone from local to, to kind of global, back to local and, and lots of different themes. But I think it, it's covered a lot of information and, and hopefully made it in, available or accessible in a way that people can kind of understand what we're talking about, but also apply it to, to their daily lives or maybe question even one thing that they're doing, if, if it could be done differently. And that's, that's been really, really helpful. Is there anything you'd like to, you know, any references you'd like to make, anyone you'd like to, to shout out or, or any, any resources or websites? Um, I would just say to anybody that's interested in this topic to, we have a, Air Quality News has a weekly newsletter that's free to subscribe to and kind of you can keep updated with the latest trends and news um, on air pollution. And yeah, just to have a look at our website because I guess that's, you know, a great um, place for all this kind of information in one, one, one space. Yeah, that's really good. Thanks. And I'd just like to say to everyone, get out on your bike, <laughs> get on your bike and just get out there and leave the car at home and, you know, see how much fun it is and how, how it's good exercise, but it also, it's a great way to see the city in, in a different way. You can hear the sounds, you can smell it, you can see other people passing by. It's just, it's a really great way to, to explore cities. Definitely. So, yeah, thanks a lot, Pippa. I really appreciate your time. Thank you.